Welcome to Backstage at Brick, your friendly neighborhood podcast all about what's going on in the performing arts department at Brick, on stage, backstage, and everything in between. I'm your host, BJ Evans, senior producer here at Brick, and I'm so excited to have special guests in the podcast studio with me today, the current Brick Lab artists, Scott and Misha, Scott Shepard and Misha Chowdhury. Am I saying that right? That's perfect. Fantastic. And they are working on a piece called Speech that will be in the artist studio on December 12th and 13th at 7 o'clock. Get your tickets at BrickArtsMedia.org. And they are here in the building this week creating this work, building it out, making it happen. And um, I would love to hear hear more about it. So so first of all, hi. Hi. Hey, how's How it going? It's going well. Thank you. <laughs> Happy like, Wednesday. I'm so shy. I'm like, no one ever asks me that. I'm usually like, how are you? Let's get into it. And y'all are like, no, no, no. Let's talk. I Scott's love that. Scott's very nice. Scott is very nice. Yeah. I get that impression. Yeah, he's a nice guy. Yeah, he seems like a nice guy. Do either of you, this is kind of a sidebar, do either of you watch Crazy Ex-Girlfriend? I mean... Oh, no, I have not seen I've that. only seen the first two episodes. Oh, okay. But that's not because I like was like, I don't want to watch anymore. Right, because it's did. amazing. Yeah. Well, there's this whole storyline where someone is convincing everyone he's a nice guy and saying, I'm nice now. And not that But you... he's actually crazy? Is that the... Well, he was, but now he <laughs> actually is nice. But that's oh, just I in see. my head of like, I'm nice now, which yeah. you've probably yeah. always been nice. I feel like we both... we. I feel like I was telling my partner Cameron last night that... Uh, I was like, oh, like I usually feel like the most like, like, is everyone okay in the room? And I'm like, oh, it's nice to have someone who is like even more <laughs> aware of anxiety filled about it, <laughs> or just like no, caretaking. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so is this a new collaboration? Have you? This is the first time. I mean, this project is the first time we've worked mm-hmm. together. This project now feels like it has. The project itself has moved through a number of different kinds of processes and iterations, so we don't feel new to each other. But the project, we'd never worked together before working on this piece. Right. So what made you, how does that happen when yeah. you decide to work together? Spinning. It does seem like harder than actual dating in a way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, spinning straw into gold, things coming out of very complicated situations. <laughs> That's right. Um, I mean, I think we've told various versions of this story before, and I don't know, we won't like get super deep into it but Scott and I met um, last year I guess spring of 2018 at Williams College where I was at the time um, an artist in residence and then I became a visiting assistant professor there and Scott uh, came up to Williams um, as part of the touring production of Underground Railroad Game that he and his creative partner Jen Kidwell along with Um, in collaboration with Lightning Rod Special, which is their Philly-based theater company that we're also working with on this piece. They came up to Williams to do um, the award-winning production of Underground Railroad (laughs) Game. The Ars Nova production of The Ars Nova's production. Ars Nova, the (laughs) Obi-winning Ars Nova production of Underground Railroad Game. Congratulations. Um, And the, I mean, I don't even know what version of this story we really want to tell, but like, As a result of Underground Railroad Games' performance at Williams, um, we became sort of embroiled in a um, long series of events and conversations around um, uh, sort of witnessing the ways in which conversations around... um, who gets to say what free speech um, 
also conversations around like healing and trauma and um, conversations about like what the purpose of art is, I guess. This feels very vague and broad, but like there were conversations that were taking place as a result of Underground Rubber Games presence on campus that like mm, tuned us into um, a bunch of different kinds of uh, sort of polarizing dynamics that were taking place inside of the free speech debate. Um, and those, it felt like those polarities were along racial lines, along generational lines. Um, and we, uh, and that fall, I was also working with Alicia Harris on a production of her new play, Beast Thing. Um, at Williams. At Williams with those students. And we, um, we sort of, those dynamics that came up uh, in and around Underground Railroad game um, became even sort of more loudly present um, in the in the process of making Beast Thing. Um, and ultimately Beast Thing, the production of Beast Thing was canceled the day of um, the day it was supposed to go up for various reasons. There's no sort of like clear, uh, there's no like finger to point at like, who canceled ultimately? Ultimately, the department canceled the production, um, but but it wasn't because of lack of ticket sales or something. No, no, it was because the uh, there was because the cast um, and the creative team um, ultimately felt at odds with one another. One another in terms of like there were there was a lot of discomfort amongst the cast about the material that was and the way in which the material was being presented, um, and. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm sort of like there's like various ver- I feel I'm feeling a little sort of like uh <laughs> I'm like I can't speak for like uh like a true version of those stories. I only have uh like my particular experience of them. But Scott and I started having a bunch of conversations um after those experiences that um that got us thinking about what it would mean to make a piece in which we, through performance, started to investigate and explore um, these sort of invisible or like seemingly invisible dynamics that are sort of bubbling under the surface of what we might term cancel culture in this um, particular moment. I think that term cancel culture is being wielded by a particular um sort of f- faction like i feel like mm-hmm. though though cancel culture inevitably is a sort of like uh there's a value judgment associated with the term right? like i think like those who uh feel as though people are being that there's a sort of like uh, culture of fear that is being propagated um, are using the word cancel culture to describe this sort of like fear of cancellation that is permeating um, various different contexts in which we're operating online and in academic spaces and in sort of art making spaces and in the you know politics and the world at large, the celebrity culture. Um, and so I'm being a little bit more like I'm like, the piece was originally we were calling it like a poisonous love letter to cancel culture, which I think <laughs> is like in some ways still accurate because there 
you know, in the when we were first talking about the piece, we were interested in this debate um, that was that seemed to be going on um, between sort of between generations, primarily um, in which an uh, an older group of of folks, especially in an art context of art making, were sort of talking about like art is the wise disturber. The point of art is to provoke um, and uh, like free speech and the capacity to like dig into uncomfortable uh, territory or to step into uncomfortable territory when making art is like exactly the point. Um, And like a, a younger generation of of uh, students and makers and artists who were pointing out that like free speech has been a banner under which um, all kinds of uh, like free speech has uh, stood in for theft and uh, um, sort of pilfering of um, like basically a colonial like a colonial impulse that sort of bubbles underneath the surface of what we call free speech, right? So like um, that all knowledge is available to everyone and all knowledge can be uh, easily disseminated and circulated. Um, But of course, the assumption behind that idea is that like um, I can go and like collect a bunch of stories from First Nations peoples and then like publish those stories and make money off of them. Um, and that is like free speech because knowledge and speech belongs to everyone except for the fact that you just made a bunch of money off of uh, a story that didn't belong to you. Um, so these conversations around like appropriation and epistemic privilege, I think, are also like at the heart of this free speech debate. Um, and yeah, and I, I I think we're at a very I I feel like I'm talking a lot, and I want to hear what Scott has to say about <laughs> this. But I'm just sort of like the we uh, like just yesterday or no, not yesterday, Monday in our first rehearsal had a long conversation about like what is it that we're what is the object that we're actually trying to approach and investigate because we work as a kind we we talk about it in different ways, but we're interested in a kind of sort of collaborative embodied inquiry. What can performance teach us about um, a, what can performing itself teach us about a series of questions that uh, that like, you know, writing a paper or having an analytical conversation about those questions can't. Um, and we're like, originally we thought it was like, oh, it's this debate, but I'm like, oh, what are these sort of, um, less uh, the, the, these more complicated complicated kinds of dynamics that are bubbling under the surface of this conversation that result in like all kinds of different performances of um, performances of authenticity, performances mm-hmm. of goodness, performances of wokeness, performances of like an attempt to distance oneself from a particular idea or uh, position oneself in proximity to another idea um, those kinds of tiptoeings, I think, are the like behaviors that we're interested in interrogating. We uh, we talk all the time about we're not interested in making work that has an argument or a thesis. We're not like though we may have uh, we may exist as individuals at a particular sort of node um, inside of this argument. I certainly have all kinds of feelings about it. As someone who was born in 1984 and is a queer person of color, I like have 
all kinds of like I find myself being sort of jettisoned around inside of that like what camp am I supposed to be on when but I think we're interested in that like behavior in interrogating those like um, the experiences of of wanting to like how like what is what is this new mode seemingly new sort of like mode of engaging with one another that we are being asked to develop as a result of Mm -hmm. this moment that we're in yeah i'm uh, i'm been really excited about the slight shift in the focus of the conversation that we've been having around the the kind of upshot the behavioral upshot the the fragility that exists in the room i mean we've been talking about giving this a giving uh the characters that are kind of in in the piece of speech a clownish scrutiny and to kind of show the vulnerability that is behind an attempt at allyship or an attempt at um absolution like you were talking about like what do we what is that impulse from and then it really gets to the heart of is it actually a self-centered impulse? Is it actually an impulse that is still seeking to retain a certain kind of power, even as it performs a certain kind of humility? Um, and what does that mean if we're not honest about the the true intentions that are are kind of spurring these these actions or this behavior? Um, so yeah, I think we're it's been. It's been exciting to use performance as the mode by which we understand how different people continue to um, fight for power in a room as they're having these conversations around what can't be said and what can't be said. Um, and it's, yeah, it's 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 interesting because you get into these situations where, in an attempt to show how aligned someone might be um they they go to these absurd heights (laughs) in order to like show how um show how uh uh, clear their 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 politics are uh how right-headed their politics are um and in doing that there's potentially a lack of of interrogation uh with the actual questions with the actual political questions at hand or and there's a lack of self-interrogation so it ends up kind of being a hollow or, or superficial we've been talking a lot about these the performances in, in the in, in the theater world in New York City right now that they really are appealing to a certain kind of um, how cathartic uh, you know sense of of improvement as a culture <laughs> even mm-hmm. even as we yeah. might not um, or even as those performances might be kind of sidestepping um, the like real yearnings inside the hearts of those artists or audience members. Yeah, I love the way that you were talking about these performances of allyship or absolution or proximity or humility as uh, quieter, or not necessarily quieter, but like a different kind of um, power struggle. Um, I think that there's an easy way by which, like, I there's an easy b- way by which, like, 
we can sort of roll our eyes at or indict those performances. But I think that like we live in a moment in which everyone is required to, um, everyone is sort of engaged in that sort of practice of self-positioning and performance at, at, at various moments and in various contexts. And so I think I'm like, I'm really interested in, um, we were talking on Monday about the sort of like the political gaze um, being directed outward um, and like that there is, uh, there seems to be an impulse towards like honing one's critical lens but that oftentimes that critical lens is like um is like directed it's like you're scanning you're scanning the public for like uh and making sort of like assessments of the of the people around you and i think i came up in a moment in which like um, I mean, I was that college kid for sure, and I'm obvious, obviously still engaged in that practice. And there's an easy sort of like, oh well, that person, you know, like it's like, oh, that's the that Indian person who's in the in the frat. Well, you know, like it's like they're just trying to be white, or you know, like there are these very <laughs> clear, like, um, it's sort of like clear judgments that can be made. Um, but my mentors who were in many ways at the sort of like queer women of color who like whose language now is like the fuel behind a lot of the movements that we are seeing that are making waves in this moment. Um, women like Sheree Moraga and Audre Lorde and um, a, a whole generation of third world feminists who um, were always like, okay, but that's not an, that's not a, um, that's not a particularly uh, useful or interesting practice for you to like it's very easy to go and like like we know that's obvious like the thing that you are naming about the person across the room from you we all know that but like you aren't uh, like it would be much more difficult I bet for you to look at yourself and like parse out the various ways in which these power dynamics that you're interested in are playing out in your own uh, like the way in which you walk into a room and the way in which you walk through the world. Um, so I would say that like in some ways this project for me is an attempt, like I feel a lot of, I'm feeling a lot of things in this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there's like, a, a, I, I genuinely am confused about, uh, I feel genuinely confused uh, about how to navigate this uh, this particular moment as uh, at b- being the person that I am, being an artist uh, who believes in particular kinds of art making, but being uh, being queer, being a person of color, being you know I don't know what generation I am, but like aren't you the Oregon Trail? Aren't we the Oregon Trail? Generation? Yes, the Oregon Trail generation. I appreciate yes. that. Isn't very accurate. That's like. That is probably more accurate than any of the other. That's uh, the one I claim. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's an attempt to sort of like just um, like be like 
I like working for uh, working on pieces that emerge out of like a question that I genuinely have no answer to. Um, and this these two weeks at Brick, we are uh, fully generating material from scratch with a, an amazing group of um, actor creators, six actor creators, including Scott and um, Alice York, who is the other co- one of the other co-directors of Lightning Rod Special, Saudi Tsukada, Jahan Young, uh, Jaime Maceda, and... Billy Griffin Jr. Um, they are going to be fully sort of um, co sort of co-authoring whatever um, performative material comes out of these two weeks, and we're also working with an incredible team of designers who will be joining us primarily next week. Even though many of them were in the room yesterday, yesterday. building an insane yeah, uh, <laughs> set into like loading in this crazy. Crazy set into the artist studio. Pei Yi Wong, Abby Hoke Brady, um, Stab, who is our sound designer, and yeah, and it's like a, it's like a. We always, it's very collaborative all the time. Mm-hmm. Like we, um, we we know very little, <laughs> so we <laughs> ask a lot of our, ask a lot of our collaborators. But Misha, if we didn't judge people openly no one would pat us on the back for all the great work we're doing totally yeah 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 yeah. or yeah. retweet us right exactly so it's true i mean that's a conundrum how will we get the retweets with how, will we get how, how will we get but what you said is really interesting about uh, these women mentors of yours who were like actually why don't you do some internal work maybe not you specifically but the royal you or maybe it was you no, specifically. no me too yeah like, i mean both how about that internal work and like it's such an interesting point of like no one sees the internal work. Right. And, you know, I am just as guilty as the next person of wanting people to know about the internal work I'm doing. But mm-hmm. then is it really even internal work anymore totally. if I want people to know I'm doing it? Right. Right. If yeah. internal work happens in a forest. <laughs> oh, so there, good. There was some, <laughs> so there's good. some lost adage there. But, you yeah. Know. I like no, I that. think you're on to something, Scott. <laughs> I really do. But I was just really struck by that yeah. Um, because, yeah, I just, it's not. I think this this cancel culture, like I love that you're you're trying to talk about that because I I do often think that it keeps us from looking at a bigger issue or understanding the systems that are in place. And I feel like I want to say oh, I don't remember where I, I read this, but that Obama had even had come out and said yes, something. Totally. Yes, totally. He's uh, one of there's. I mean, in the last two weeks, I just sent these to our collaborators yesterday, <laughs> but it feels as though there have been like eight. Uh, very well circulating um, editorials and articles about, unlike both quote unquote sides of the debate, right. mm-hmm. um, one by Tanahazi Coates in response to uh, at least tacitly to Obama. Yeah, in in response to Obama's sort of like um, uh, sort of. I mean, how would we do? You, yeah, for our listeners, do you? Want I mean, to I would just say that Obama's uh, like. Obama was, um, I mean, I didn't even really watch the video, so I feel he like... He was critiquing call-out culture. Yeah, he was basically and, and saying, like, it isn't real activism. It's sort of like, you know, like a good old-fashioned sort of, like, critique of armchair activism. Like, you yeah. you sitting there and, uh, like, tweeting about how you feel isn't going to change anything, which I think... The young, the, uh, us, a particular generation was like, 
like okay boomer like you are like which uh, isn't that a little bit of cancel culture in and of itself to just call someone a boomer and write them off or like tangentially related like nothing you say matters anymore because you're a boomer and I can just say boomer to everything you well, say. Well, I find it's the quick s- labeling. Like we're so we're so adroit in our ability to kind of label and uh, and compartmentalize and put away. So, in, in many ways, and I think it is it's because of capitalism. It's because of the ways and the the kind of surfeit of information that pours out of the fire hydrant every day into our brains that we have to have this ultra sophisticated system of kind of organization and dealing with ideas and chunking them so that mm-hmm. we can kind of still exist sanely in the world but then that that system is a is a kind of inadequate substitution for grappling and thought and this <laughs> this internal work that's happening um, that nobody hears about um, just doesn't happen, uh, you, you know. It, so so much energy and thought is putting in this kind, put to this kind of naming of a thing, and when we're making theater, so much of what we talk about is trying to make things that exist in the unnameable spaces, in these like liminal spaces that exist in between ideas that we've had, right? Because the moment of naming is also the moment of it, it is the end of curiosity. It's the end of the work, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. as soon as we're able to kind of say. This is what that is, okay, boomer. Then we have we've stopped uh, intellectual functioning on some on some level, and 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 that's also the stop of sympathy. It's this. It, it's the end. You, you know, like at that moment, like these little circuits that are firing in our brains kind of shift towards a known space rather than an unknown, hungry, curious space. Right. Um, yeah, that's a great way to. I mean, like. Uh, you know, I could talk for days about this, and I know that we could talk for days about it. But I'm just sort of like, yeah, I think it's like I. It's my mentor Sheree Moraga always used to say: you have to be able to hold uh, like many opposing ideas in your head at the same time. Mm. And I think that that practice is like that lesson is the lesson that feels sort of like uh, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Mm. And but I feel like there's a way by which, like you know, I. I watched uh, like the Bikram documentary last night. He is actually a family member. So like the Bikram of Bikram Yoga, one of the many like uh, expose documentaries that we're seeing in this moment, um, like following the R. Kelly one and the Michael Jackson one. Um, And like it does this number on my brain to uh, watch that documentary and like I think the th- the the thing that I often think is like I can simultaneously like the argument of the f- uh, the argument of the documentary is very clear and it has like a very clear activist purpose which is to like put pressure on like legal systems to actually uh like uh charge this man with criminal behavior which I think is like a very active purposeful thing and I think that that is great and I can like like be on board with that uh i can be on board with that and also be like watching this movie and like trying to ask all kinds of questions about like who is this like indian man like who showed up uh and like tried to learn certain kinds of behaviors and then like built an empire 
and now is like leading these like rooms like full of white women who are like uh who think he is god um and like i am like like to think new in a, in a sort of like nuanced way about like his um about like the psychology that resulted in his like obscene behavior is like not i'm sort of like there's a i'm like oh like there's an impulse in me that's like no 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 like to like to tr- to like it isn't to think about those psychologies in complicated ways isn't like a condoning of his behavior and i should be able to be like uh i should be able to be like good for this documentary and like i also have all these other questions that aren't being asked that are a part of this like this story um i don't know i mean i just feel like that kind of like not wanting to sort of shut down one part of one's questioning in order to um like be on the right side of a of an of a debate is an impulse that I have to actively work against these days because I'm like no 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 this is what this is the camp that I should be and this is what I'm supposed to feel and I'm like why am I feeling like I'm interested in in picking at the like feeling that you're not supposed to have and sort of interrogating it yeah 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 I think I think that's right yeah and is that we only have a few more minutes here but is that what people might expect if they come see the showing next week. I'm really curious because it sounds like the work is very new. It's being made in the space. Yep. It's an embodied inquiry, which I love. It's super exciting. And so like what what do you think if you don't have a thesis, which is fine, but a lot of a lot of people, I'm not saying I'm one of them, would argue that a theater piece needs to have one. Mm-hmm. And like so what what are you showing? What do you think? I mean, I like what we what we I often talk about it as sort of like that which we will show next week is like uh, like the trace or the footprint of whatever it is, whatever sort of embodied inquiry process we will be engaged in. Um, we're going to be generating a lot this week and early next week and then sort of midway through next week, um, we will start to sort of like shape and um, compile and sequence in service of making. Um, whatever it is that we're going to be sharing with audiences next week. Um, But I think that like, and and we're using a lot of, uh, we're making this piece in collaboration with Lightning Rod Special that has a sort of long history of, uh, of like a, a methodology that we're heavily leaning into in the making of this work. And um, I, my attraction to their, their work um, and their, the pieces of theirs that I have seen is, um, like is precisely this like I have no uh their piece the appointment that was just named <laughs> best theater of 2019 by the New York Times when I saw it I was like oh like I have no like it's a piece about the abortion debate and I have a particular expect expectation as an audience member about like what m- what I might see when I go in to a theater uh to witness a piece about the abortion debate and like none of those expectations were fulfilled in a way that allowed me to like lean back and be like, yep, right. Yeah, I know. Like I mm. know things about like it. Would not, I didn't, I, I was just sort of like, what mm. is like, I felt completely unmoored and like that, that 
that and not in more than such a way that sort of like alienated me, but sort of like delighted me and required me to sort of like lean forward in my chair and like participate in the unraveling of the strange behaviors that I was witnessing on stage. And so I think like the main goal that we've been that we've been naming for this week, Scott was talking about like wanting to figure out what the world of the piece is. So you may see like scene six and scene seven and scene 10, um, or you might see a very long scene one, or you might discover that the piece doesn't have scenes, but um, the sort of like the goal for the two week residency here is to sort of uncover what the performance vocabulary for the piece is and what the ethos of the thing will be like are we uh witnessing six people in a writer's room for a television show um trying to sort of without naming it talk around something that happened last week is it a naturalistic piece like that or are we like uh are we exploring various different kinds of environments? What are the, like, are we watching, uh, like, we've been, like, are there, like, humility monsters and righteousness monsters sort of, like, uh, marching through this space? So uh, you can, if you I'm come to this showing, that. yeah, you can expect to uh, <laughs> to be as surprised as we are by um, what unfolds. Yes, so much of the work we made in the last <clears throat> in the last uh, phase, we want to go um, even deeper into more kind of mysterious spaces. We did a lot of work on representing the internet mm-hmm, in all mm-hmm. sorts of ways. Ooh. So some of that might creep in, but we also kind of made a pledge to ourselves that that was not not quite you know what we were after. So we were kind of we're we're, we're pushing putting that on the shelf a little bit until we until we find new. Uh, new ways in to the material. These questions yeah. to live inside of. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to see what what you have to show. So are we. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's great to be in process and to see the footprint, the beginnings, to be at the beginning stages of something like that. It's really exciting. Is there before we sign off? Is there anything that I didn't ask or that you wanted to share with listeners or say that you didn't need a chance to say? I don't think so. I mean, come out and see the work. I mean, like, even though we are like, hey, we have no idea what it is and we will have something by next Thursday, the, um, like, we also are, like we said, we look like loaded in this massive set yesterday. So I think, BJ, you've been saying this, but I think like the pressure of an audience is um, exactly the kind of, um, like, is a useful fuel to this kind of process. And I think we will learn a lot from, um, sharing even this early stage of the work with whoever's in the room next week. I call um, it exquisite pressure. Yeah, exquisite pressure. I love that. Yeah. I will steal that from you. You're welcome to <laughs> it. Thank you. What about you, Scott? Anything you wanted to add that I didn't ask or that you didn't get a chance to say? No, I think I think all, um, pretty much everything has been said. Yeah, I'll, I'll add that we actually, we have lots of material. This is one of those processes where there's a lot of material kind of to use the iceberg metaphor, we've made a lot of things and we've written a lot of things that we feel will not maybe be shown next week, mm-hmm. but they're kind of existing below the surface of the water as this the much larger part of the iceberg that you don't get to see. So oftentimes when I'm in a process where it seems like there's just so much 
underneath, it it makes for a more exquisite peak of peak the of iceberg, iceberg that, like that that pokes mm-hmm. out of the top. Yeah, so. I can see that. Awesome. So that is coming up. Um, it's called Speech Again. Is that the working title or is that the title or we're just going with it for the That's moment? That's the title for... For, for December for of December. 2019. Great. So yeah. December of 2019, <laughs> the work is Speech. The artists in residence are Scott Shepard and Misha Chowdhury in collaboration with Lightning Rod Special. Um, check them out online. And Misha, you have something coming up under the radar as well. Yeah. Um, come out and you see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come and see. Mukagni. Um, it's a piece that I have created with my um, like my life partner and uh creative partner Cameron Neal. Um, the two of us uh, are creating and writing and performing in the piece. It's in Under the Radar. Um, yeah, you can go find it if you just Google. Mukagni is M-U-K-H-A-G-N-I. That's how you spell it. Thank you um, for that. Yeah. Yeah, Google that too. So Google Scott, Google Misha, and also Google speech at Brick brickartsmedia.org. That's on December 12th and 13th at 7 o'clock. Once again, this has been an episode of Backstage at Brick, hosted by me, BJ Evans, with special guest Scott Shepard and Misha Chowdhury, recorded at the podcast studio at Brick. We will catch you next time. Thanks so much for listening. Mm